welcome back to Happy to Meet Cute. We are so happy to have you here. We have um, an exceptionally special guest today. Um, we have Becca with Happy to Meet Cute Bookshop in San Diego. Um, and we typically only release one episode a week, but Becca's episode is being released on a Tuesday. <laughs> Which, as I'm saying this, I'm like, wow, this is a big deal. But I don't know if listeners will think this is a big deal. But to us, it is a huge deal because it is a very special, extra special episode. Um, And we're talking all about the Romance for Reproductive Justice auction with Becca. Uh, But to introduce you to Meet Cute Romance Bookshop, um, it is a queer-owned feminist bookshop focusing on genre romance. It's a place for romance readers and the romance curious to meet up, hang out, and generally get nerdy about kissing books. We've got contemporary historical, paranormal, fantasy, science fiction, and YA romance, as well as romantic suspense and mysteries, and we're always working to feature stories where people who don't often get to be the main characters in books with happy endings find joy and community in love. Come accidentally bump into the swoony, zany, angsty, steamy book you didn't know you were looking for. That is the best bookshop bio ever. Becca, please introduce yourself. We're so happy to have you. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. It's delightful. Yay. We all, um, we all have very good naming qualities. Yeah, like we- yeah excellent. <laughs> Where did you, I mean, what a great idea. <laughs> A, a match made in meet cute heaven. Yes. Absolutely. Can you tell um, everyone about yourself? Sure. Um. <laughs> well, first of all, you have an incredibly decorated wall behind you. Like, I wish yeah, y'all could see this. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's my prized possession. I love a good piece of wallpaper. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm a Scorpio, so this question is my nightmare. Um <laughs> But I, no, I mean, you really, you really have to do it. I should get used to it. Um, I'm from LA originally. I live in San Diego now where the bookstore is. Um, I've lived all over. I have done a lot of things. I was a theater kid. I majored in theater in college. Um, I went to law school. I did uh, nonprofit immigration defense work. I clerked in federal court and now I run a bookstore. Damn. Yeah. Like what am actually... I even doing with my life? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was just going to be like, those are all the things that I feel like my mom wanted me to do with my life. <laughs> well, my mom was delighted when I decided to stop being a lawyer. So that helps. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good. Um, yeah. And I think owning a bookstore is like the absolute dream. Like, and I'm sure the reality is obviously much different than what I picture in my head of me just like, hanging out and drinking coffee and sitting in an armchair reading books all day. Um, but <laughs> it's definitely the one of those things where like, I, when I'm chatting with my husband about, you know, the time when we win the lottery that we don't actually play, like I'm opening a bookstore. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a little less Hallmark movie than you might think, but it is obviously great. I'm very lucky. And it's an amazing store. If you haven't been there yet, like definitely add it to your list. 
Um, I had my just my type launch there and it was just like so amazing and wonderful and just like the vibes of the store are just so good and positive and lovely and every time I go there I end up buying a lot of new books um, because there's just so much good stuff there it's it's perfect and wonderful. Well, your book launch like lives in meet cute lore now because <laughs> every time we have one and we're like, well, we're going to like, here's how, how it goes. Um, we're like one time, one time <laughs> Fallon brought cookies and <laughs> we had them set up in the back for after we talked. And then right in the middle of our conversation, an elderly gentleman just like walks into the bookstore <laughs> And just, you know, just is sort of standing by the door. The, the door, like, we have a closed sign on, but it's not locked because that's like, the fire hazard. Um, and he just walks right in front of where Fallon and Courtney are chatting. <laughs> and I, like, try to pull him aside. And I'm like, hi, sorry. Like, this is a this is a private event. You know, like, we're closed. And he just, like, he talks so loudly right over you. And I'm trying to, like, show him out the back door to, like, not interrupt. And he grabs a cookie off the tray, which are gray sweatpants cookies. Like they are, you know, they're on brand. Grabs a cookie and just like wanders out. And he's like, you should lock the door if you don't want people to come in. And I was like, next time, sir. Amazing. I just, classic. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, you know what? If you're going to interrupt my chat, that's totally fine. You get a gray sweatpants cookie and I'm sure you have no idea what you're eating, but. <laughs> no, but you were champs. I mean, you just sort of kept going. I feel like it didn't, it somehow really didn't interrupt it that badly. Mm -hmm. All the audience was like so nice. They were like, we don't, fourth wall, we don't know what's happening over there. <laughs> like, I, well, I think that's a big testament to you, Becca, and how you run things because I vaguely remember somebody coming in, but I, I don't remember anything of what you just said. Like, um, yeah, we, you handled it and we just kept going. <laughs> it's that stage manager training. Yes, absolutely. I knew I also used to be a stage manager and I was like, theater kid. I was like, huh? Yep. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you two have that in common. Yes. Um, and I think being a stage manager, something that kind of carries into your real life is that you um, take on huge projects and plan the crap out of them. Um, and one of the most important ones that you have taken on is the reason for this episode, because we're so excited for it. Um, not the reason for it, but the auction itself. Um, but so you are hosting the Romance for Reproductive Justice auction again for, is this the second year? Yeah, second year. That was a great segue. Like A plus <laughs> podcast hosting, just like really impeccable work there. Thank you. Fallon is <laughs> really good at segue. They really come together for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is an amazing auction and we want to hear all about it, how it started and I know it's coming up this week, so we want to hear all the details. Yeah. I mean, it started last year. So this is this is our second year um, when the Dobbs opinion, Alito's Dobbs opinion leaked, which was the um, – sorry, I just wiggled and probably made sounds. Um, when Alito's Dobbs opinion leaked, and that's the – it was the draft of the opinion that overturned Roe versus Wade, 
Um, and like, I, I'm a lawyer, I don't practice anymore, but like May and June are really big months for lawyers. Cause the Supreme court tends to come down with like, it's sort of the end of the term. And so there's like a lot of the big decisions they save until this part. And so it was, I was watching anyway. And then that leaked, which is, I don't know if people realize how wild it is that a Supreme court opinion leaked. That's like absolutely not a thing that happens. Um, and so the actual fact of the league is like a whole separate interesting question that never sort of got figured out. Um, but it leaked and it was awful. Um, and there was all of this discourse around how terrible this opinion would be if it was actually didn't get edited at all before, you know, before it was issued. Um, which fun fact, it like really didn't. It's it's as bad as it seemed like it was going to be. Um it like opens the door to a whole bunch of other terrible things in addition to banning abortion, like banning gay marriage and like interracial marriage. If you like take the, just turn the clock back a little bit farther. Um, a lot of the rights that we take for granted are called into question by the way this opinion was written, which didn't have to be the case. They did that on purpose. Um, but yeah, so that leaked and I was just really livid, even though like attorneys, like we we knew this was coming. I mean, I think anyone who was paying attention to this issue previously, like it's been coming for years and years. Like it's not, it wasn't a surprise, but it was, I think, surprising how how it was written and how how bad it was. Like it didn't have to be that bad to overturn Roe versus Wade, which was bad in itself. Um, anyway, I was really mad. And um, I was opening this bookstore. We weren't open brick and mortar yet, but we had a website and, and a little bit of an Instagram presence. And um, we were sort of in a lull. Like I was, there was a bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes with like our location. And I didn't, I had time. <laughs> I was like, well, I have time on my hands. And um, romance readers like Romance Landia has a history of running auctions for issues that people care about. We've done auctions for people who were like experiencing natural disasters and the fallout from those. Um, there's There's been auctions to raise money for political candidates, um, voting rights. And so there was that history that I could build on, right? Like I didn't have to reinvent the wheel. And I was just like, well, maybe I'll do this thing. And then um, I reached out to a couple people who had run some of those other auctions in the past just to see if they would be like, yeah, here's like the website I used or like here's some like tips and tricks. And like Adriana Herrera got on the phone with me like the next morning because she's not busy. I don't know. Like she's doing like 17 <laughs> jobs and she was like, sure. Yeah. Let me just like hop on the phone with this total stranger. Um, Brie from Kit Rocha, like talked to me on Twitter a little bit about like how to just some back end stuff is really helpful because I I don't know I'd never done this before and I like got an auction up and running taking donations in like two days um and it was incredible like the response was incredible I think everybody else had also read this like leaked Dobbs opinion and was really upset and it's really hard to find a way to to be useful in a situation like that um because it's not you know it's not your wheelhouse. It's not something you like have roots in or anything. And so what do you do other than just sort of like be upset about it on social media, which is like maybe cathartic, but not super useful. Um, and so I think people were really excited to have this way to help. Um, yeah. And it ended up being really great. We raised like $50,000. Um, and so we're doing it again. Yay. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think it really is like there's just that feeling of like helplessness mm -hmm. when you're just 
constantly consuming this bad, terrible news all the time. And we're just inundated with it lately. And so you do kind of like get stuck. And there's this feeling of like, well, nothing that I can do as an individual is going to make, you know, any sort of difference. And I think we all get a little bit complacent and we all get a little bit like just that feeling of like, well, I can't do anything, so I'm not going to do anything. And it's these types of, you know, little things that you can do or that start out maybe as a little thing that turn into something so much bigger. Um, And it's just like such a nice way to have a place to like direct your frustration and direct your anger and direct your feelings that really does turn out to actually make a big impact. Yeah. I mean, I think you can see that right a couple of months ago. Um, God, I'm forgetting their name. Someone organized the Trans Rights Readathon, mm-hmm. um, which was incredible, which was not specifically romance, but was like a bookstagram and book talk thing. And it was completely different than the way we organize our auction because there's like lots of different really great ways to organize people and fundraising. And um, it was much more um, like everybody sort of runs their own thing. And they raised so much money for a different really important issue where like things are really terrible and a lot of people feel helpless. Um, And so, you know, we can't all do things constantly. Like we all have our lives and you can't be constantly. And I think I learned that when I was working, right, I used to where I worked at nonprofits and, and it's important to like somebody, this is a very embarrassing metaphor, but like somebody once said to me, like, you know, in a, in a choir, like not everybody is singing all of the time. Hmm. Like you can hold a really, really long note in a choir because you can hold a note longer than any one person can hold a note. That's, that's like how it works. Some people are singing, some people are breathing. Um, and I think that's a really important way to think about doing advocacy work because it's really, it can be really exhausting. And so this is one of the times when like, for me, I'm singing, like, this is the thing I'm doing right now for this. And other people are helping out. And it's like, we want to support, you know, I, we tried to support the Trans Rights Readathon. We weren't organizing it, but it was a great thing. And so I think, I try to think about it that way because it does get very overwhelming, particularly as a person who comes from having done, I, I wasn't, I did advocacy work hundred percent of the time. Like that was my job. Um, I was doing immigration work and now I run a bookstore, which is like really nice, but not, you know, like helpful um, in the same way on sort of a constant basis. And so I do, I don't know, I try to think about it that way, but it is part of the mission of the bookstore to be an organizing force and like an organizing point for something like this. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And thank you for providing a space for everybody to be able to get involved because I think like Fallon was saying, it's like being alone and feeling alone in your helplessness. And like, what can I one person do? It, it makes such a difference to have a community where we can all come together and contribute. Yeah. And I think one of the really great things about um, the organization we direct donations toward, which is the national network of abortion funds is that, Um, And particularly their collective power fund, which distributes funds directly to a collection of abortion funds around the country, is that there are people on the ground, you know, the way that I was the person on the ground doing immigration stuff every single day, right? Like there are people whose whole job it is to like 
facilitate access to abortion care for people in parts of the country where it's really hard to get. And they know what they're doing. Like, they are experts. If you ask me how to get an abortion in Mississippi, like, I could absolutely not help you with that. Um, And there are people that can. And so I think there was, like, sort of an impulse. And it's an understandable impulse, right? But when that Dobbs decision came down, there were all these people who were like, I'm going to, like, start an abortion fund or like I'm gonna and like they exist like there are people with this knowledge already who've been doing this work for a long time and I think the best thing that we can do as sort of like people who are outside this issue on a daily basis is to support the work that they're doing um because they they know what they're doing and even though giving money doesn't always feel it doesn't sort of like have the same feeling as like I don't know, becoming an abortion clinic escort, which like if you want to do that and you want to put in the like the time and the work and like to learn and understand and become a part of that community regularly, like absolutely you should do that. Um, But you can't sort of like pop in and out. You really have to commit to that. And so if you don't have the ability in your daily life to do that, which is a completely reasonable thing, like we can't all do everything, um, giving money to the people who are doing it is, is really the best way that we can support. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, so as of, so this podcast is going to come out on Tuesday, June 6th, and the auction is opening on the 10th, correct? Yeah, it's the 10th and the 11th. It's just two days. Last week, last weekend, last year, what is time? Um, last year, it was three days and it seemed like two would be just fine. So it just ends on a Sunday night um, at a time when hopefully the West Coast and the East Coast will both be like awake and not busy. So everyone can sort of focus on their like last minute auction things. Um, Apologies to international bidders. There are a lot of items that are available to people who don't live in the U.S., but um, there isn't a good way to make the clock convenient for everybody. Yes. Mm. Stupid time zones. (laughs) I mean, who invented them? What is the sun even doing? Just shine everywhere all at once. Come on. Truly. (laughs) Um, Can you give us, like, this is maybe a question I shouldn't put you on the spot for, but can you give us, like, some highlights of some things that are going to be available in the auction? Yeah, I absolutely can by pulling up the auction website (laughs) because my brain is a sieve. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so everything is up now, or almost everything. I didn't have to do it all by myself this year, which was really exciting. Um, our booksellers are helping with this as part of their regular regular paid work. Um, and so Kira did a lot of the graphics and the communicating with people. And so everything I think is now up on the website to look at. So you can like put little, there's like a little heart, you can like heart them and it puts it on your watch list. Um, so you can start looking through stuff now. Um, and there's just so much great stuff. Like there, if you're a signed book person. We've got a lot of signed books. We've got some signed special editions, like the um, the Anna Huang Twisted series that the Steambox and Steamy Lit did. People loved those. They're out of them, but we have one full set signed. Um, we also have just so many annotated books available, which is so wild and so generous because it takes authors so long to like go through an entire like 350 page book and put all of their thoughts and notes onto it. Incredible. So jealous that I don't get, don't get all of these for myself or really any of them. I'm not bidding. I feel like that would be cheating. Um, (laughs) But 
I mean, I can't, there's a, an annotated arc of Maisie Eddings, like sapphic book coming out next year called Ooh. late bloomer. I mean, an annotated copy of love in the time of serial killers, which was one of our best sellers during spooky season. Um, just so much incredible stuff. I mean, you all organized every author that's ever been on happy to meet cute is donating a signed book as like a bundle, which is incredible. Um, so many great books in there. And then there's all sorts of stuff for if you're an author. Um, there's like all of these edits and critiques available, including just like full manuscript critiques, um, copy edits, marketing assistance, just like an incredible amount of stuff. If you're, you know, query letter edits by, by agents, just all sorts of things. And then my favorite one, which we only have one of, um, is that uh, Jen Trin will do custom character art for you, which just seems oh, wow. like so fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's just so much incredible stuff. I can't, I like, I'm so jealous of everybody. There's all these like author zooms where you can just like an author will come talk to your book club or like, we'll talk to you about like the process of being an author or whatever. Like it's an AMA for like half an hour. I mean, I just, everyone has been so generous with their time and I, everything sounds incredible. Yeah, I every time I'm like scrolling through one of these auction things, I'm like, okay, but I want it all. I want everything. <laughs> I know, I me too. <laughs> I know, I'm just like, oh, there's thoughts from authors in books and I like won't get them. I'll be near them. I'll be near the idea of an annotated <laughs> copy of this book, but I will never see it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, annotated books are so fun. I just love even seeing like... Um, little sneak peeks that like authors will like post on their Instagram and stuff. And I always, am just like, Ooh. I know I, I'm so it. jealous. I want, I want all of the like secret behind the scenes thoughts and like, you know, alternative versions of jokes and like thing that had to get cut and just like, Oh, so fun. <laughs> I love that so much. Very cool. Um, so I'm not going to segue as well as Fallon, <laughs> but are we, is there anything else that we should know about the, um, auction? Um, I, I think that's it. There's also, um, we have tote bags. Um, there's some merch. Yeah. So if you don't win or you don't want to bid, there's nothing for you or it's too rich for your blood. Um, there are tote bags with our like little logo on them. Um, and those are $40. So like the anything over the cost of the tote bag just goes directly to the National Network for Abortion Funds, Collective Power Fund. Um, and they're really good tote bags. Like I feel like this is an important note. We had the same tote bags last year. They're very sturdy. They're big. They're good like grocery store tote bags. They're really like usable, you know, like this is going to last you a while tote bags. Um, and I think they're cute. I, I designed them and I'm not a graphic designer, but I really did my best. Um, and so hopefully, um, that'll also sort of like contribute to our total fundraising. Amazing. I mean, you don't have to push me too hard to buy a tote bag. <laughs> yeah, really. Oh, <laughs> and I am, would be remiss not to mention, um, I'm recording. So we also have a podcast for the bookstore. Um, and we are doing an episode. I'm recording it tomorrow, but there is, two attorneys, one of whom is a law school classmate of mine, um, 
and they both do reproductive rights litigation work. And so they're going to come talk about that, how that's going, what that's like. And also um, the one who was not my law school classmate, but is a colleague of hers, um, is also an emergency department doctor. <laughs> um, wow. Literally, she's like, yeah, in my spare time, I'm an emergency doctor. And I'm like, that's not how that works. In my <laughs> spare time, I'm like watching TV. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to talk to both of them. I'm so excited. And then her sister is an editor at Berkeley. So it's just like a perfect, what a world. Um, so yeah, if you want more like sort of like information about the legal side of this fight, um, that podcast will be up. I don't know, probably right around when this podcast is up. Amazing. Is that Christine Schwartz's sister? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe editor at Berkeley who does amazing books and she always posts on Twitter about her doctor sister and like how amazing she is. <laughs> um I think that's right. I don't remember. They have a different last name. Yeah. That's so funny. I love that. That's so cool. Um yeah. I mean wild. Like I I know a couple like JDMD people and it's just not a thing that I would be successful at doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just like I the thought of being like a lawyer and a doctor at the same time. How I don't understand how that is like humanly possible. Yeah, it's too much information to keep in your brain. I really don't understand. Like I would be, I don't know, like in the ER trying to like I don't know, like cite to Westlaw or something. <laughs> <laughs> but this is why, like, we truly are so much better together because everyone has such incredible skill sets to bring to the table and information and knowledge and so what you're doing like really gives such an amazing platform for that to happen that's the hope yeah um but you have also lived like multiple (laughs) lives and had multiple jobs and what led you to open meet cute um I, I just, I get bored. I don't know. I, um, I just need to do new things. And I also, I mean, look, I graduated from law school in 2016, um, in May and I was going into immigration law. I took the bar, I moved to Texas. Um, and like, we all know, we all know how that year went. Um, and Like, I had a very dramatic, like, the Texas bar. You don't find out if you pass the bar until, like, November. It's really late in Texas. And, um, like, there was an election. And then I got, like, sworn into the bar. Like, I think I got sworn into the bar, like, right before the election. Or, like, I literally, like, maybe that day. And then I came into the office the next morning. Everyone was just, like, in tears. Um, And they were like, oh, there's, like, an immigrant youth who's being, like, interviewed by the FBI, like, can you go represent her? Because you, like, used to do some criminal law. Like, I was the only person there who had any criminal law background, which is, like, not a lot. Like, I worked at a public defender, like, for a summer. Um, And, like, and I was also the only person who was not, like, actively crying. Um, And so, so I, like, spent that day, like, with a teenager being, like, interrogated by some FBI agents who, like, came straight out of central casting. Like, it was wild. Um, so that was the start of my immigration law career, like formally. Um, and I kind of like went downhill from there. If you talk to any lawyers, like immigration law is 
a disaster. Nobody thinks the current immigration system works. It just keeps getting worse and worse. Um, and like as a lawyer, it's just so it the law doesn't work the way that it works in like really any other part of the law. So like even if you talk to other like nonprofit lawyers, they're like, oh no, I wouldn't touch immigration with a 10-foot pole. Like it's it's rough out there. Um and it is, that's true. Um, and it's also much rougher for immigrants than it is for like me, an immigration attorney who's like personally fine. Um but it does it just it just got worse and worse and worse over the years that I was doing it and I burned out. Like mm-hmm. I just couldn't do anymore. I was getting secondary trauma and like not sleeping and it was really bad. Um which I honestly like I I wanna be like I should have done better self-care, but I like don't I don't think it was possible. Like I went to therapy and I was like, hi, I'm like looking for self-care tools. Um, here are the things that I'm currently doing. And my therapist was like, have you considered a different career? Mm. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's the whole, like I'm, anyway, so it's bad. Like bless the people who are still out there. It really, it cycles through really fast. I mean, this is like, this is where that choir metaphor came from. Like immigration law nonprofits have such incredibly high turnover and almost nobody that I worked with is still practicing that area of law because it's just so, so heartbreaking and hard. Um, But like, you should still go into that area of law. You shouldn't. You you probably shouldn't. Um, There's a song in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend called Don't Be a Lawyer. And there is like a specific call out to how bad immigration law is, like worse than every, like the whole song is like, don't be a lawyer. And then there's a line that's like, definitely don't be an immigration lawyer. That's the worst one. Um, Which was rough because I I was still an immigration lawyer and I was like, ugh. Um, Yeah, so I did that. And that was, I burned out. Um, And I... I started clerking, um, which is like working for a judge. I was in Boston working for a federal judge um, on the theory that like that would make me able to transition into like a different kind of law, like a more of an impact litigation, which is a a little bit more of a remove um, from like working directly with clients all the time. Um, And I just didn't like it. So um, and there was a pandemic and I was like alone in my apartment clerking, you know, from my like living room. Um, and I think for a lot of people, the pandemic was just a time when you have like, you had a lot of time to think. Um, and I decided that I had really tried to be a lawyer in a bunch of different ways and it, there wasn't, it didn't seem to be one that was like long-term sustainable for me. So I tried a different thing (laughs) and now I do this. That's amazing. Have you, had you always been a reader or were books something that brought you comfort during those times? And so that's something you wanted to like be more actively have more actively as a part of your life. I've always been a reader. I, I get to have like one of those cute romance reader origin stories. Like I used to read the Avon true romance series, which was this like series that Avon put out. I think there's only like 13 books. <laughs> Did, didn't work except me. I was like single-handedly supporting this series. Um, <laughs> trying to get like before, I think before YA was like really a thing. Like I'm old enough that when I was like a tween, we had like there was some YA, but it wasn't like it is now. Um, and so Avon was like, we're going to get them young. And they put out this series of like YA romance novels that all have like a very like Josephine and the soldier and like Nicola and the Viscount, like 
woman's name and male profession names. And <laughs> I like read all of them. Um, and now looking back, I didn't like know at the time, I think I got into it because Meg Cabot wrote two of them and I was like a big Meg Cabot girly. Um, but they're like, Lorraine Heath wrote one, like Beverly Jenkins wrote Josephine and the Soldier. Like it's wild. They really got the who's who of romance and they were like, but do it YA. Um, so yeah, I read those. Um, and then I just, I've always read, I'm a big reader. I've read a lot of all, I'm really a genre fiction reader, so I don't read a lot of like lit fic. I read a lot of nonfiction and genre fiction and romance in particular. So yeah, it's always been in law school. I read like 30, 30 of the JD Robb, um, like the Nora Roberts weird, like near future detective fiction, like deep into that rabbit hole in law school. So yeah. Awesome. Oh, that's Amazing. so good. Um, all right. So like, I think we, I mentioned this earlier that my picture of like what a bookstore owner does is not accurate. Um, can you like, what are like the best parts of the job and like the not as fun parts of the job? Oh, I mean, the best part is like getting to talk about books with people all the time. I die every time someone comes up to the cash wrap and they're like, can I can I ask you for a recommendation? And I'm like, yes, tell me everything about yourself. Mm-hmm. This is all I want to do. Just like, give it to me. Um, that's my favorite. I just like love matching people with books they're going to like, because we have so many great books and I just like, I really loved them. And I'm like, here's a great book. Like, you're going to love this. And it's so fun. Um, and also like, you know, I like, I love all my booksellers and we get to like talk about books and it's really delightful. And we have our little like bookseller WhatsApp thread and like, it's really fun. Um, so I think just like the community aspect and the like talking about books part is, is the best part. Um, and then I don't know, like the worst part is that you're just running a small business. So you just have like a normal, annoying small business things. Like I have to like do invoices and like send emails, so many emails. And it's just, you know, like, whatever it's nothing nothing's gonna be fun all the time yeah yeah the good outweighs the bad significantly you do a fantastic job yes thank you what made you settle on um san diego and were there like certain hurdles you had to overcome to get the shop open yeah i um so i've lived all over um i used to move pretty much annually, which like I said, I like I get bored. Um I've lived in Rhode Island, Washington, DC, Boston, Texas, California. Um I lived in San Diego for about a year while I was still a lawyer. I was I was here um working on in mostly in Tijuana and in the detention center in Otai. Um so I had lived here and I I really liked it here. I um I'm originally from LA. I don't I'm not an LA person. Like I know you're both in LA and I'm like, you know, I've, I'm tech. That's my hometown, um, which is like the least exciting place to be for your hometown. Like it's just a big city, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't love it. I didn't want to live there. Um, But after living like many thousands of miles away from my family for like 10 years, I was like, stuck alone in an apartment in Boston where I didn't know anybody because I had just moved there um, during lockdown. And my parents are like older. I They had me when they were old. Um, and I was just like, oh, you know, it would be a huge bummer is if my parents got sick and I couldn't get on an airplane um, to like 
see them or anyone in my family. And I don't know. I just was sort of like, you know what? Like, I liked San Diego. I wouldn't have actually left San Diego, except that the way the timing worked with jobs, very complicated, boring, clerkships, hire early, et cetera. Like I got the job in San Diego and the job after that job at the same time. So I like knew that I would be leaving when I moved there. Um, So yeah, I was like, I could either go back to DC where I have a lot of friends from law school, or I think San Diego is like the the other place. I didn't want to go somewhere new. I was like tired of being somewhere new. So Mm. that's how I ended up here. Um, And it's been really great. San Diego is a great book city. There's like a ton of cool bookstores and fun book people and everyone has been so nice. Um, Yeah, it's been really great. And you're on like the best little street. There's like a brewery right across the street and a coffee shop. There's like so it's like a perfect place to go just like hang out and spend the whole day on that little strip right there. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in a great neighborhood. There's like 18 coffee shops and like 3,000 breweries because it's San Diego and like it's a beer town. Um, and we're walking distance from San Diego's like biggest, best used bookstore um, verbatim, which is really fun. Um, so it's sort of a twofer, like parking is tricky, but once you park, you're like set. Um, and they're very cool. Like they're so cool. They're like way cooler than us. Like we're dorks. Um, and they're like, they have like zines and like art posters and like, you know, (laughs) I love it. Amazing. You can get all the vibes in one place. You absolutely can. You like truly just once you, I, everyone's always like, God, parking is so bad. I'm like, look, I know, but that's because it's a good place to be. If the parking <laughs> were easy, you wouldn't want to be there. That's how San Diego works. That's true. Yes. Yeah. We um, mitigated that. We just spent the whole weekend in San Diego because mm-hmm. we were there for a book launch, which is really just what you should do. And then you can absolutely you because can sun, sand, beaches, museums, like tacos. Yeah. Great, great weekend away. Strong recommend. And the fact that the brewery is named Second Chance and it's across from Meet Cute, like... <laughs> That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Fallon and I were in, like, Romance Landia heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Trope heaven. That's so funny. Yeah, they're... Uh, um, so we have our book clubs there because um, it's also a coffee shop. And but the brewery is, like, a dog adoption brewery. So that's why it's called Second Chance. They, like... Oh I don't know what their business model is exactly, but some amount of like something, something, proceeds, something, 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 dog adoption. Um, and so sometimes they have like puppy events there, um, which is just like both wonderful. And then I like come home to my actual dog and he like, he's like, you've been cheating on me. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, you don't understand. <laughs> I was like, no, you would like it too. You love puppies. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, honestly, puppies are a good segue into our next topic because Ted Lasso is the golden retriever. (laughs) (laughs) A plus. Character. (laughs) Um, All right. So as we are recording this, tonight is the final final episode of Ted Lasso ever in the history of the world which I'm trying not to think too much about because I'll get mm. depressed um, but you have recently started watching I'm kind of jealous that you get to like see them all for the first time again yeah I just came to the I so obviously like everybody has been telling me to watch Ted Lasso for 
I don't know, three years, however long it's existed. It feels like decades. And I just like, I don't know, I like didn't have Apple and like, whatever, I'm busy. Um, <laughs> and like, this was obviously an incorrect choice because it's the best show on television. And like, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Um, but I did, I, I just like really needed a break from books for a minute. I was just like, oh my God, so many words on in front of my face. I just like can't do it. Um, so I took a break and I was started watching Ted Lasso and then I watched all of it. I caught up on the entire thing and I didn't know that this was the last season and that information. So I had, I was like, this show is so amazing and it's ending. Like I was just like just <laughs> devastated. Um, so I'm not caught up. Um, I'm like four-ish episodes behind because I stopped. I When I realized it was the last season, I stopped watching it and I was like, I want to watch the end like all sort of all together. Um, so I'm a little behind, but it's, it's just so delightful and like I I can't wait for all of the romance novels that people write as like thinly veiled Ted Lasso fanfic like I just I'm very excited about it yes um I need a Roy and Jamie book immediately mm. please. yeah absolutely I need every possible what's Sam I'm obsessed with Sam I want like a a Sam like new like ex football player like restaurant owner oh like the chef that he like is working. Yes. God, oh, I, yes. I need it, please. I um, I mean, I'm obsessed with the show. I have been for quite some time, but I feel like if you are a writer in particular, this show is like the gold standard of like character arcs and character development, like the way we have watched and it's only three seasons, but the amount of growth and like there are characters like, and the way that they do it is just like so masterful to where all of a sudden you don't even realize you're like, Oh my God, I hated this guy. And now he's my favorite character. Hmm. Like, how did that happen? It's just like, yeah, the writing is incredible, which is I think particularly notable during the, the Writers Guild strike um, where it's yeah. like, and a lot of, that's a show where a lot of the actors are writers, right? Like this is, it's an the office situation, right? Like, um, and so I think just a really like, pri- like beautiful example of how important writers are for television and film. And also like, oh God, it's, it's incredible. I, I like hated Jamie so much. Like I was just like, oh God, this guy. Like I didn't even, I was like, he's not even attractive. Like I don't get it. What's the thing about Jamie? And like by season three, I was like, I'll marry him. It's fine. He's a himbo and I love him. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, the arcs are the really, they've done just an incredible job. And it's so, it's one of those shows. um, We had Diana Biller in the bookstore last weekend or two weeks ago. And she was talking about something Rebecca Bloom had said, who is the creator and star of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, um, when she was asked, like, how did she try to, like, make that show so diverse? And she was just like, well, like, I don't know, I grew up in this area. And, like, it just, like, is diverse. Like, this is what this area is like. And I just reflected that. And I think they've done just, like, a really incredible job of that on Ted Lasso, too, because football is a really, right, like, very international sport with, like, all sorts of people and and the show represents that. Like, that's just sort of what it is like. And it's so much better for that. And I just, oh, God, I love that show so much. I'm just going to start it right over again. Mm. Yeah. I am like, okay, well, I have to watch the last episode tonight. But that does mean that I can go back and start it again. <laughs> yeah. I also, I, like, dipped a toe into, like, 
Ted Lasso like TV criticism, but I'm like afraid to because I don't want spoilers because I'm not at the end. And I saw a thing that made me mad and then I just stopped. But someone was like, oh, the third season is like so woke. Like now Keely's bisexual. And I was like, Keely was always bisexual. This is canon. I knew she was bisexual from episode one. It was very clear. And they just like, I, I think they also knew that. Like the I think it's written into the show in a way that was like really obvious to me. Um, and the fact that they like, I thought they were just going to kind of let that be like a little queer baby like thing on the side for like the whole time, right? Where she was like, Rebecca's so hot. And and I was like, no, she's not kidding. Like this is this is a queer person. Um, and now she's like dating Jodie Balfour, like famous lesbian. Anyway, it's great. I just love the show so much. It's an incredible. Um, it's just like one of those where you can just always turn it on and know that you're going to like walk away like feeling good and positive and like, it's just like a comfort watch. Yeah, but it's not, I don't know. Some of my comfort watches are like, I think a little easier. They're like a little bit, I, I not in a mean way, but just like, they're like simpler. They're like a little more straightforward. I mean, I also comfort watch like, I don't know, like things on HGTV, right? And like the, the narrative level of like love it or listed is very low. Like we're at like a kindergarten reading level. Like here's a house. Here's a different house. Which house will they choose? They chose a house. Like, you know. Um, and so this is a comfort watch because, but it's so good that I almost feel like I need to like pay attention. Like I need to watch it again to analyze it. Like I can watch it to enjoy it, but then it's also like worth watching as like a text almost because it's so well done wow I was like in my head I'm like how do I make another good segue and I was like well Ted Lasso takes place in England (laughs) and you know what else takes place in England you know what else (laughs) and I have it today (laughs) no that was perfect but I Fallon I don't have either of us seen this show Oh, no, I think we're just talking about the royals, like, as people. As people, yeah. Oh, as people. Oh, I was thinking about the show. All right. I think there is a show called The Royals. Yeah. Oh, probably. Yeah. But I don't think it's about the real royals. Oh, yeah. There are definitely, like, very thinly veiled, like, Hallmarky movies that are, like, Prince, like... Harold, you know, like they got really, real close. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I'm uh, fascinated by the royal family, like, and their entire situation, which is like my sort of like thing, the most relaxing thing, because as noted, like with Ted Lasso, I'm still kind of like analyzing narrative structure and like storytelling, like whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can't, the, the royals are just mess. They're just messy people. Um, and like a political system that like probably shouldn't exist and I can affect them in no way and nothing I think about them matters or has any effect on anything at all. And therefore I find it very fun to like pay some attention to the chaos mm-hmm. um, and, and the media sort of like from a media criticism lens, like how are other people watching the chaos is very interesting to me. Um, so I do a lot of, a lot of TikTok real royalty tiktok is the place to be oh fill us in yeah what's the latest gossip um so there is this woman who's incredible she's like an art history person who like does this as a side hustle but has like a million tiktok followers um 
her her name's Amanda Matta, but she's Matta of Fact on on TikTok and Instagram. <laughs> Amazing, which is great. Um, and she, I feel like she has she has the takes that I want. So if you're like dipping your toe into like paying attention to this, her takes are the takes. Um, because there's just, I mean, the thing is, like, it's one of those things where even though you're like, oh, it's nothing and it doesn't matter and it's like whatever, it actually is such an interesting way to think about a lot of like cultural issues, right? Like the way that. Megan was treated. I'm like, why, why was that? Do we think like, what, what about Megan was different? Like, I don't, I can't put my finger right on, you know? Um, and a lot of the, just like, they right like the Prince Harry and Prince William had this like heads together, like mental health promotion, like nonprofit thing. And now whenever, whenever we're talking about Prince Harry, like, because the brothers are fighting now, like they keep sort of leaking to the press that Harry like went to too much therapy um and it's just like it's so interesting to watch like how other sort of just like general social issues are being processed through this like really really small lens of this one weird family that for some reason is like incredibly powerful and famous and like I don't know I just like I can't I will be endlessly happy thinking about like the weird behind the scenes, like machinations, like now the theory is right. So like we finally, there was like a Kate versus Megan situation happening because Megan was like too good at being a princess. And that was like not acceptable to the British press and probably also to Kate. And so Megan and Harry were like, peace out. Like we're going to California and raising chickens. Um, Like goodbye. And then people were mad about that and but now Kate like is back where she hypothetically wanted to be right where she's like the best princess um and it's important because she's a future queen and Megan was not going to be queen and this is where you always get this like air in the spare dynamic like it never goes away because you can't have like it would be really bad if the spare were more popular than the air right because like the spare is not going to be king um and so so now Kate's like back being the best princess but Camilla is the queen now and like Camilla has been like hanging out waiting to be queen for like a real long time like she was like the affair that prince charles had and then she like managed to end up being queen and so she's like no it's like my time now i would like to be queen so there's a theory that now there's like now that we got megan like megan's like i'm gone like you can't use me as your foil anymore now now kate and camilla are gonna like have a problem right because you can't you do want Kate to be popular, but Camilla doesn't want Kate to be more popular than Camilla, who is like the queen. Anyway, this is just like Whoa. the drama, the level of pettiness, the gossip. Like, oh, it's so good. Oh my God. I'm here for all of it. I just, I think, yeah, what you're saying is like, it has no effect on me personally. And so it's like gossip that you can really just truly enjoy for what it is because it doesn't matter in my life at all. I just get to observe and laugh. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's really, it's fascinating. It's like reading a good romance novel, kind of, because it's just like, it's just a lot of mess. (laughs) And like, you get to do the thing where you're like, what would it be like, really, to be like, raised in this incredibly strange system where like, you are both sheltered in many ways and privileged in many ways. And also like you have no privacy, like you are constantly fighting with your own. It's kind of like succession. Like it's, 
it's like succession, real life succession. I don't know. The whole thing is just, yeah, yeah. it's, it's good. It's good TikTok. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to follow that. I'm going to follow that one. Because I'm like, so naive too. And like how the monarchy impacts the parliament. It's so, I, I don't that's know. That's like other. It so hypothetically doesn't. Okay. Um, like it's supposed to be now they say that they are like non-political and neutral and just sort of like they're supposed to pick issues to champion that like no one would disagree with which like gets harder and harder right the more polarized everybody gets and also they're all definitely like conservatives like they're all Tories and like they that's their social circle like they're those are the people they know but they can't come out and be like we're you know um but like prince form sorry king charles um has always been like really interested in environmentalism like this is sort of like his thing and and that's now like partisan kind of so like it's very there are like no issues left mm-hmm. and meanwhile you have like kate middleton's issue that she is like trying to champion is like children right like who could be against children um but she's just been going around for like 10 years being like i'm raising awareness of the importance of the early years of childhood and like the awareness has been raised like we're aware um and she just like she has to like do something or stop pretending that she's gonna do something which is just kind of like part of the problem with megan was that megan was actually quite good at doing something um because she had come out of when she was an actress she had done a bunch of stuff like just as like in her private life like she had done various like charity works and whatever because she just wanted to and that's like who she is and so she like shows up as a princess and she's like oh I made a cookbook and like here's like a line of clothing that you can buy to support like women who are like returning to the workforce and Kate's like did you know that the early years of childhood are important And so, I don't know. Anyway, but it's like, but it's also like, if you start looking into the early years thing, right? You're like, oh, but did you know that like the Tories in England, like you start getting into the politics and you're like, they basically had like a Head Start program. And then, oh, it got defunded. Like, how did that happen? Who did that? I can't, was it your friends from boarding school? Like, who are now in parliament? Like, might've been them. Yeah. Um, So it gets very like messy and like, it's impossible. simultaneously I don't like them but she's also like in an impossible position like she can't win and there's a lot of interesting like gender stuff going on and like I don't know it's just I can like the theory part of my brain can just like spin forever and it doesn't matter and it's interesting and like it does matter and it's just it's it's fun wow (laughs) so good yeah I remember watching on the crown um I think it was last season where Charles was doing like some green initiative kind of a thing and I was like that doesn't track (laughs) with who you are today like Mm. wait what and this was you know of course like 40 years ago and I was like oh that's actually like really ahead of your time and like very progressive and then I was like that's not where you are anymore (laughs) yeah it's just such an interesting like because that is it really is his like pet issue um but he I don't know, this idea of, like, having to be palatable to the maximal number of people while also pushing the monarchy, like, 
forward into the future because your entire, right, like you have to justify the existence of the monarchy, which isn't something that like, you know, a couple hundred years ago, the monarchs were like worrying about. They were like, yeah, we're the monarchs. And now it's like, why people are starting to really question, like, why does this exist Mm -hmm. in, in the current, like why? And, you know, pieces of the Commonwealth are starting to break off. Um, like they had the queen on their money, the queen died and they were like, you know what, we're going to just put someone who's from our country on our money actually now, instead of replacing her with King Charles. Um, and like, really like great for like a plus amazing work. Like, yes. But also if you're, if you're the British monarchy or British royal family, like you have to somehow justify your continued existence. Um, and it's, I, the whole thing is just a mess. Wow. Yeah. I think Will and Kate both kind of fear and know deep down that like Charles and Camilla could very well be the end of the monarchy because no one seems to really like them that much. And so it was easier with the queen where it's just like it had been that way for so long that of course like people aren't going to go out of their way to like change this major part because, you know, she's the queen and everybody loves her. But now it's like, oh, Wait, we don't like you. And we're also, you know, throwing all of our money <laughs> into you living this totally lavish lifestyle. Like, maybe, maybe we should stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the queen did a lot of bad things, right? But it was harder to say that out loud, I think, because she was like the nation's grandmother. Yeah. Um, and like, there's not a lot of love lost for Charles and Camilla. And so it's it's easier to be louder about like, being an anti-monarchist and like oh they never actually like said whoops sorry about like the whole slavery thing like they still are like yes that was not great and it's like and like keep going like keep rolling that thought out like you know follow that train of thought um and so yeah it's just I I guess I just love mess um Yeah, hey, also there's all of this like really niche. The reason it's like good to follow like the TikTok people is because like I don't actually spend. It sounds like I spend a lot of time on this, and I really don't. It's just that like they give you the information that you need to like feel like you know what's going on, even though like I surely do not. But there's all of this like jewelry symbolism, like a lot of like oh everybody wore like Diana's jewelry to the coronation, like gasp, like you know because she what if she would have been queen, but like now it's Camilla, and like there's just there was a whole thing where, like, everyone's trying – Megan is still great for SEO, for, like, search engine optimization. So, like, Kate wore these shoes that Megan wore a lot. And then, like, someone else wore the shoes. And they're all just getting Megan in the headline. And, like, Megan's, like, in California going on a hike. But, like, they're getting clicks on the article because of the shoes that everybody – like, it's just so – I love it. Oh, my God. It's fascinating. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm off to TikTok. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> to get my algorithm, I'll focus on the royals. <laughs> You've got to be in the right corner, though, because it gets like gets real racist real fast if you end up in the wrong side of royalty TikTok. Yeah, like that's kind of like what I've been a little bit afraid of is like, I don't want to I don't want to see any of that. I don't need any of that in my timeline. Yeah, no, you got to stay in the right, in the right corner of royalty TikTok. Yes, for sure. All right. Well, before we let you go, um, can you tell us about any special events you have coming up at Meet Cute in the next couple weeks here? 
yeah, I forgot I run a bookstore. I was just thinking about like, you know, <laughs> what's going on with Kate's hair. Um, yeah. So, okay. So we have the auction, obviously. Um, that's June 10th and 11th. And then we're going to be at the North Park Book Fair for people who are local, um, which is like hilariously like several blocks from our store. So we will like both have our store and our booth at the book fair. Um, if you want to just like do a twofer, uh, that's June 24th um, and it'll be really fun. It's like all the bookish bookish world of San Diego will be there. Um, we've got a lot of really cool author events coming up. They're not all announced. Some of them are. We have Rachel Lynn Solomon coming to the store um, July 8th. Um, a bunch of other like very cool, like July is a big month. A lot of people are in town for Comic-Con. Um, there might be an author mixer, TBD maybe for that. Um, yeah, stay tuned. And then we will be at Steamy LitCon in August. Um, I'm going to say it's the 18th and 19th. That feels right to me. Fallon's nodding. Okay, because you'll be there. Um, Yeah, so that's um, Mel Saavedra from Steamy Lit is starting this like whole romance convention power to her. Oh my God, I can't even imagine the amount of work that she is putting into this um, to like promote and support um, diversity in genre romance, which is something that Meet Cute, the store, also cares a lot about. And so we're the official bookseller there. And there's going to be like panels and signings and parties. And like, it's just going to be, I don't know. I'm like generally not a crowds person. So like the idea of a convention, I'm a little bit like, Haha. but I actually think it's going to be really fun. Um, and if I think it's going to be fun, then like, obviously people who are not opposed to crowds will think that it is fun. Um, it should be great. And it's the first year. So it's like really important to support it so that, you know, she can keep running it. Um, and she has all these initiatives and intention to like create scholarships and other ways of supporting like up and coming, um, authors of like diverse backgrounds, telling diverse stories like throughout the year, not just at the convention. And like, she just like went back to school and is doing like women's studies classes and like gender studies classes. And She's just like, she's the best. It's going to be great. Um, definitely come if you can make it. Um, yeah. And then it'll be our one year anniversary in September, which wow. is wild. So I don't know. We'll probably do something for that, but I, I haven't gotten that far. Amazing. Um, I'm definitely coming to Rachel's events. I already have it on my calendar. And my uh, one of my good friends who lives up north was like, I'm thinking about coming to San Diego for like a week in July. And I was like, well, this is the week you should pick Yay. so that I can come stay with you and we can go see Rachel. And she was like, okay, done. Um, and listeners, if you haven't already, we have a whole episode with Mel and Cookie from Steamy Lake Con. So go listen to that because they mm-hmm. gave us like all the best information mm-hmm. um, about the con. It's going to be so good. Um, and then where can we find you on the internet to make sure we're keeping up with all the haps at the store? Um, you can find us on Instagram at meet cute bookshop. You can also find us on TikTok at meet cute bookshop. You can find us on Twitter to the extent that Twitter is still a platform that exists. Um, and it's at underscore meet cute books underscore because meet cute bookshop was one letter too many. Um, we also have a Facebook and a website, which is meetcutebookshop.com. And we like ship books. So you can like order books from us and we will send them to you in any part of the United States. So um, if there's something you're looking for that we have, we will be happy to send that your way. And for Steamy Lit attendees, um, y'all are encouraging people to pre-order before the convention so you can have the yes. books stocked and ready for them. What an excellent point. Thank you, Courtney. <laughs> 
Yes, we strongly encourage pre-orders for Steamy Lit Con. We'll bring them to you. Um, we, you know, it's the first year of the convention. Like nobody really knows exactly how it's going to go. And so we're going to do our very best to like bring the books that people want to buy. But like, you know, if there's a book you really want, the best way to make sure that we will have that book for you is to just pre-order it. We will bring it. It will have your name on it. Nobody else can take it. Um, and then you can go get it signed by your favorite authors who will all be there. Is there um, a special link they should go to to, to pre-order for the convention? No, it's so easy. You just um, like use the search bar on our website to like look up any book you want. We'll bring it to you. Um, and then just in the note when you're checking out, just be like, this is for pickup. It's Steamy LitCon. And then we will put it into that section of our like software and we will hang on to it for you. Until then. That's amazing. So cool. Love it. Oh, a fun thing you might want to do if you're for Steamy Lit or not is that we do mystery book stacks. So if you either like read a ton and you're like, oh no, I'm like, I need more of this thing and I don't know where to find it. Or if you're just like, romance, that sounds like a thing I might enjoy. Um, we have like a, you can find it right on the front page of our website. We have a Google form and it asks you all these questions about like, what authors do you like and what like subgenres do you like? And we will put together a mystery stack for you and you can pick it up or we'll mail it to you. Um, and it's so fun for us. So like, this is a little bit selfish because I'm like, these are really entertaining. So like sometimes at the bookstore, it's like a quiet day and we're like, oh, a mystery stack came in. Um, and we just love picking out books for people and we check it against if you have a Goodreads or a story graph. So if you've marked it as read, we won't send it to you. Um, we try really hard actually to find authors that you haven't even like marked as like TBR on those websites. We can't always do that because some people have like several thousand books marked on their TBR, <laughs> but we really do try to like find new things that we think you'll love. So if you're looking for something new or a gift for someone, um, you can try try the mystery stack. That's really fun. I love that. Yeah, that's so cool. That sounds super fun. I'm like, now in my head, I'm like, do I need a mystery stack? <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> Please, I'll make you a mystery stack. Come pick it up when you come to the Rachel and Solomon event. Yay. Okay. I mean, twist my arm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Becca, thank you so much for joining us. Listeners, please make sure you go right now to check out the Romance for Reproductive Justice option heart all those items, pick out your favorites, scope it out so that you are ready when it opens on June 10th. Get those bidding fingers all warmed up and ready to go. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for donating to the auction and helping people learn about it with the podcast. I really appreciate it. We appreciate you. Of course. And yeah, it was a joy to chat with you. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will uh, actually talk to you tomorrow. How about that? <laughs> thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at Court underscore K, K A E, on all social media platforms. And you can find me, Fallon Ballard, at Fallon Ballard everywhere you imbibe your social media. If you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode, you can find links in the show notes. And a special shout out to Zachary Kibbe and Matt Ballard for our amazing theme song. Thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to see you next time.